Welcome to The Read Along. A mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book. One one chapter chapter at a time. This episode is brought to you by Unbelts, the Edmonton-based biz which makes the comfiest stretch belts around. They also make cloth masks, and you're going to need more of those whether you're headed back to school or just living in a city which requires masks indoors or on the bus. Unbelts masks are designed by serious perfectionists. They follow all the latest WHO guidelines, they're ethically made right down to their components, and most importantly, they're super comfortable even if you have to wear them all day long. They have elastic straps which go around your head instead of your ears, they have a nose wire to keep your glasses from fogging up, they come in all sorts of colors and four sizes from preschooler to adult extra large. They've been featured in Parents Magazine, Elle Canada, and were even named Best in Edmonton. So what are you waiting for? Head to unbelts.ca and order your masks today. Shipping is always free, and you can enter the code APN for a free mini laundry bag just for being an Alberta Podcast Network listener. Also, if you're an Alberta teacher, you can click teacher discount on their homepage for 20% off your entire order. Once again, that's unbelts.ca, and you can enter code APN. Now, I realize that we just did the uh, the paid advertisement for Unbelts, but, I mean, Nita's been gushing about these Unbelts for weeks now. Well, they're masks anyway. I don't own any of their belts. Uh, yes, sorry. The, the masks from Unbelts. Yeah. They're great. Ours are a boring gray, and I'm seriously considering checking their catalog and see if I can find something more vibrant. Yeah, well, there you something go. Exciting. Something to match your outfit. Yeah. A lot of people have been doing that. Why not? Lately. And it was kind of brought up that maybe, like... If I had like an Etsy store or something and was crafty in that fashion, and I, I'm creative, but I'm not crafty in that fashion. Indeed. I would start rolling out a line of neckties, pocket squares, and masks for men that were all matched. So you had a mask that matched your tie. Yeah. For if you're you know going out on the town or you're, you're a fancy businessman. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, I feel that it's an accessory, like a tie or a pocket square. You would want to match those. Yeah. Maybe your socks as well. Well, maybe if you're into that. Yeah. That's it's harder of, to match the socks. Kind of what I was thinking. So if, if you're a crafty type. <laughs> there you go. Million uh, dollar idea. There's an idea for you right there. Just giving them away. Just giving away free ideas here on the read along. <laughs> Just handing them out. I mean, I mean, we're a podcast about ideas, really. <laughs> about We're a podcast about stories. Stories. Stories and ideas walk hand in hand. They truly do. It's true. Beautiful friendship. Another thing that's a beautiful friendship <laughs> is the relationship that's begun to flourish between Kava and Tracker. Accidental segue! In chapter two of our novel, we had an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the Ku tribe, their customs, yes. the gender roles their society has for men and women, how Tracker kind of is slipping in between those. Unfortunately, also discovers that... His entire life up to this point has been a lie, and he's expected to commit murders that he didn't even know needed to be committed. It was a lot to take in for our protagonist, and therefore it was a lot to take in as a reader. But will Tracker act on the expectations that have been laid at his feet, or will he find himself another path? Perhaps we'll find out (laughs) in Chapter 3 of Black Leopard, Red Wolf by Marlon James. 
a brief aside, because we didn't bring this up in chapter one, which we kind of should have at the time. We're actually in part one of the novel. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It is a novel in three parts. Yeah, and part one is titled A Dog, a Cat, a Wolf, and a Fox. Yes. We don't have any of those yet. We do technically have a cat as well, of this juncture. We will we, be introduced we to yeah. we will be introduced to a cat this chapter, yeah. I suppose yeah, I suppose that counts as a cat. And Tracker has himself been described as being dog like because of his nose. So maybe he is the dog? Maybe. Hard to say. Or maybe he is the titular red wolf. Also hard to say. Also hard to say. So Tracker continues his story to this Inquisitor, to us, really, and talks about his time spent staying with Kava after this earth-shattering revelation. After his entire family history gets dumped on him in one day. Yeah. He notes that Kava lives a lot less kind of manly, as at least as compared to his beloved uncle, and equates this with him living alone because his family has largely died off. And Tracker is kind of intrigued by this because... Kava's not living in a traditional coup way, I guess would be the best way to put it. Well, he can't. He doesn't have the same support network that a wealthy and or living family would give him. Yeah, he has right? to he has to take care of himself. Yeah, exactly. In a way that a traditional coup family would have broken down a lot of the a lot of the different household. The, the men's roles. work, the women's work, yeah. the Kaba, children's work Kava kind of has to do it all yeah Tracker kind of also asks about this a little bit but Kava doesn't really give him any answers because Tracker's like where did you learn how to do stuff that women do and Kava's just like man you learn stuff <laughs> <laughs> laundry oh. Kava does kind of intimate that maybe he learned a little bit of it from a different culture far to the north of where the Gingatong tribe lives where their relationships and sexual mores are a lot more fluid and accepting apparently which is an early indication that Kava is very well traveled. Yes. Which we will learn is indeed the case. Absolutely. Uh, as this chapter goes on. Kava and Tracker also continue to fool around while they live together. Like a, a relationship is extant here at this juncture. Right. And I know <laughs> I know that Tracker's sexuality isn't a big deal in this book, but based on like these two sentences we get about him. I'm fairly confident he's bisexual. I also gathered that because in his talking to the Inquisitor, he talks about how it kind of brings him joy to be a generous lover to both man and woman. Yeah. And that he has laid with both in his time. And so that also reads to me that he's probably a little more sexually fluid. Yeah, exactly. And again, I know it's not the point, but it is brought up, so... Yeah, and we, and we were curious about his sexuality earlier as well. So, yeah, yeah. Well, but only because he talks about it. Yeah, like if he if he never mentioned it at all, it wouldn't matter. He does talk about it in a very casual way, though. I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, it's always a little offhanded comment. Yeah, to the like off of a tangent off of his main story. Tracker has also at least past tracker in his story has grown spiteful towards his family at this juncture the uh, the pressure of this grudge that's been laid at his feet uh the lie of omission from his beloved uncle that he didn't tell him just outright what was going on uh the childhood of lies from his father slash grandfather and abuse yeah let's not forget that it's Wee. left him it's left him feeling that family is just basically there to ruin your life they're just there to stab you in the back and lie to you, and he is pretty happy yeah. to not 
deal with them. He's not really had a good experience with family, so. No. This also means that he's pretty happy when one day Kava's just like, you know what? We're going to go. We're going to go out into the bush for like a month. Come with me. Yeah, we got stuff to do. Yeah. Kava's theory here, like Kava has an errand to run, and we'll get into that. But his theory here with bringing Tracker along is not just for company. It's also because he feels that travel will help Tracker shed his burden. He, he likens it to shedding skin like a snake. Mm -hmm. But his feeling is that like putting some distance between himself and the tribe, having some time out in the bush with a friend, it will probably help him unburden. This is the basis of every road trip movie ever made. This is one road trip that's going to get real strange real quick. Oh, real quick. Yeah. They travel on foot for a while, heading up a mountain eventually, Tracker realizes. It's a very subtle mountain, though, because he doesn't notice right away. Yeah. Kaba's very at home in the wilderness. He knows his way around the trails He and, and the terrain. He knows his way around animals. He even seems to have a little bit of rapport with them. Yep. This is when some supernatural elements start to get introduced into their journey because they start to get followed by a leopard, the leopard, the titular leopard, in <laughs> fact. And the leopard. Um, he also stops and, like, picks up some fairies along the way, some yumbos, and speaks to them with familiarity. They, he clearly knows these two particular yumbos. Yep. Um, and that seems to be the case. Tracker is agog at all of this. He's just like, what is even happening? <laughs> how do you, how do you know these people, creatures? What is happening? Who are these? Yeah. The fairies lead them to a baby who's been abandoned in the forest, which the Yumbos have been caring for. Unfortunately, there's a second child as well who did not make it. But, um, we learn from Kava that both are Mingi. Mingi are cursed children. And it's believed that they will bring misfortune on their tribe, their family. So it's custom to abandon them in the forest, basically. Kava later elaborates on what marks a child as Mingi, essentially children with physical deformities or bastards for the most part. So really, almost anything. Yeah. Uh, at this juncture, the leopard transforms into a human, and Kava is like, yeah, no big deal, and Tracker is just like, what is even happening now? <laughs> so I didn't picture him as entirely human. I pictured him like, I don't want to say wear leopard because that's not quite right. You know what I mean? Well, the description that we got was, from the sounds of it, pretty human. Like yeah. human with like thick, coarse hair. That's what I mean. Like not, like almost uncanny valley, right? Like not quite 100%. Like you could pass him off as human if you costumed him up a little. You know what I mean? You're looking at me, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You, you're not picturing the same thing I was picturing. I'm clearly not. But that's, I mean, that's fine. It's a novel is the theater of the mind, right? Yes. So the leopard says, so here's the deal. The, the dead girl's going to attract danger to us. Uh, so you take the boy, I'm going to bury her and I'll catch up. And Kava takes the boy and off they go. And he explains to tracker that he's known the leopard for some time. Basically, uh, some years ago, he was sent out to prove his manhood to the Ku tribe. To do that, he was asked to kill a big cat and return with its skin. The first big cat he encountered was Leopard. <laughs> and uh, there was like a moment where he was like, am I, am I supposed to kill this, this thing that's got this baby in its jaws who seems to be super happy with it? And then Leopard revealed himself to be a shape changer and was like, my dude, don't kill me. Here's the deal. Come with me. Deliver this girl. I'll help you out. Kava did uh, help him deliver the, the Mingi child at that time to she. Uh, we will meet she later. Yes. And then has just kind of continued to help Leopard out with this task ever since. Uh, Kava also, we learn, has another name. 
that Leopard knows him by, yeah. which is Asani. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. I don't know why he has two names. I'm sure it's relevant later. He has he has a name to this little family of his out in the bush and a name to the Ku tribe. Yeah. Tracker notably has no name. He That's has true. abandoned his name. We so. call him Tracker because we have no other way of addressing him. No, and because we know that at some point he will become known as Tracker. Uh, Tracker at this juncture has found himself in the company of uh, a white painted man, a huge muscle man leopard, two tiny fairies. And a baby. And a baby. And they all seem to be super comfortable with one another. And it's starting to make him feel a bit like an outsider. As, Again. Yeah. And as they stop to camp, he realizes he's jealous of Kava. Right? Yeah. And he's he, all suspicious that Kava and the leopard are having some sort of torrid affair, I think. Basically, yeah. And he kind of decides, well, I'm going to stay up all night and spy on them and make sure they don't go fooling around. And promptly falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. And is, uh, well, I mean, they've been traveling all day. Yeah, exactly. Over rough terrain. He's tired. Uh, Leopard wakens him later and tells him, look, we need to go. Tracker isn't giving much information here. Just it's impressed upon him that it is urgent and that they are being followed by someone. Yes. We never, at least in this chapter, find out who or what is following. No, I suspect we will, though. So the Lady Yumbo uh, says at this juncture, so I was talking this with this owl. And the owl told me, you've got the nose. We need you to use that gift to keep up with Leopard because it's dark. We have no light. We can't bring a torch. We'll attract attention to ourselves. So you need to lead us after him. You need to smell him through this enchanted forest. Yeah. And at first, Tracker's not certain exactly what they're asking him to do. But Kava, like, helps him catch Leopard's scent and is like, follow that nose. Follow my nose. It always knows. And... (laughs) Until now, Tracker hasn't really been aware of the extent of his superpower. Like, he's, he makes it clear. I've always known that I had a really good sense of smell. Yeah, he smells things and people, Yeah, right? As opposed to a trail. Yeah. He's used it to help, like, identify people and learn about them. Yeah. And not so much find anybody, find his way. Yeah. That the, kind of thing. Basically follow someone and track like a, yeah. like a bloodhound. Use it for tracking, yeah. if you will. So this is kind of the first time that he uses this for this purpose and he actually finds that it's pretty easy to do um and he's able to keep up with leopard even in the dark with a little assistance from kava who helps keep him focused on leopard and not on all the other scents yeah (laughs) because he's kind of behaving like a bloodhound at this point where he can smell everything and some things are distracting (laughs) yeah they travel across a lot of landscape over the next little while. And it's a little unclear if this is all in one night or if it's over the course of several days. I don't know. I I think at this point, all of his days and nights are blending together. A little bit. Certainly, it's impressed upon him that whatever is chasing them uh, is sleeping by day and traveling by night. And so if it does take several days, they're clearly doing the same. Eventually, they are led into what Tracker describes as an enchanted forest. Yeah, because at one point they're walking upside down yeah. and the trees get all weird and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the danger that was chasing them seems to be past at this juncture. They've they've arrived at Sanctuary and uh, they arrive kind of at a house that's grown into the trees and is just swarming with children. Mm-hmm. Uh, these children greet Leopard and Kava very warmly. These are two people who frequent this place. Yeah, it's it's one of those excited to see you rush of children Right? I can imagine it's very noisy. (laughs) 
It's it's very like the scene at the end of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> With all the children rushing in behind. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. We also finally meet She, and She is a Gingatom woman, wizened beyond her years, who clearly is caring for these abandoned children. Yes. Um, she greets Tracker, takes a good look at him to get a sense of him, and immediately marks him out as a city boy. Tracker gets a bit affronted by this. This is... I, b- I believe it's known as the brashness of youth. I, I literally use that word in my notes. Did you really? Later on. <laughs> um, it's because Tracker's kind of getting tired of being read like a book by everyone he meets. But sadly, he's a teenager who wears his emotions on his sleeve. So it's real easy to do. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of, st- he stands out because, yes, he is from the city. Yeah. <laughs> he is out of his element. There was a whole there was a whole bit at the end of uh, the first chapter about how he snuck around the city and no one saw him and no one cared when he passed through the gate and yeah right because that was what he grew up in mm-hmm. he could hide like but then he stood out like a sore thumb yeah, exactly. the second he got into the woods hide like nothing in the city totally out of his element nearly died a day into <laughs> his journey outside of the exactly city. so yeah he sticks out he asks why she's looking after the Mingi children, and she makes the case that they're worthy of life and kindness, even if superstitions would have people cast them out. And Tracker says, well, that just kind of shows how barbaric things are out here in the wilderness, because in the city, we wouldn't cast children out. We just call the child collector. And she's like, dude, what do you think the child collector does with those children? Right? Because uh, then horrible things happen. Yeah, there's a great thriving black market for child parts because yeah. they're in demand for all sorts of sorcery and magic. It's super dark and disturbing, and I try not to think too hard about it. Yeah. Tracker, being a hot-tempered and tempestuous teenager, mm. full of himself, feeling insulted by her having uh, read him like a book, takes this opportunity to insult her. Well, um, and reads her right back, which is... A little bit. Interesting. Because he can smell her. Yeah. Um, and gets disdain from her. And he kind of revels mm-hmm. in that because, as he puts it, at, at certainly at this juncture in his life, it was easier to be hated and know where you stood than to not know where you stand with a person. Yeah, to have someone be false to you. Yeah. They spend about a week at her place, uh, though Tracker and the woman nary cross paths again right. during the rest of his stay. And, I assume that's very on purpose. Yeah, And before the end of the chapter, as Kava kind of talks to him about the children, Tracker asks what happens to the curses that these children have. Like, is the woman removing these curses? Is she using these curses to, like, put them on other people? And Kava just gives him the most disappointed look and is just like, you know right. what? Being a fool is also a curse. I, I can only imagine that that came with the loudest eye roll possible. Like, okay, no, you don't. You idiot. You don't understand. They're not actually cursed. Yeah, this is just a superstition. <laughs> And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. So I hope the next chapter starts with Tracker smacking his forehead and being like, oh, I'm such an idiot. No, it probably won't. No, it probably won't. But maybe he will finally learn some wisdom. (laughs) I mean, the Tracker in the present clearly does have some wisdom about him. In, In his story, young Tracker, clearly not the wisest. No. Has not yet had that life experience, that <laughs> valuable yet. life experience. I actually, I'm going to say this outright. I get the impression that present tracker looks back on past tracker and thinks he's an idiot. 
Sort of like when you look back at your own life and you kind of cringe a little. Yeah, like his, the way he describes some of his actions and some of his thoughts in this time period, not exactly glowing. <laughs> no. Um, this is a person who's come a long way mm -hmm. and is a different person today than he was then and recognizes that the person he was then was a callow youth full of vim and vigor and not much Elf. wits or wisdom. <laughs> yeah. You you can tell uh, he desperately wants to be a grown-up, but he's really not there yet. Yeah. Like, he's he's too immature. He's too inexperienced. He just hasn't been alive long enough. Well, not just that. He also, he grew up sheltered and abused. Exactly. And that lied too. to. Yes. So, like, there's just, there's so much life experience that he's lacking even from probably a city person perspective. Quite probably. Yeah. Um. So before we leave this... Uh, a couple things popped out to me about this chapter that I want to bring up. Sure. I don't think it's possible that the child they've picked up is the child. Yeah, I don't feel that's the case either. I don't think we've gotten to that part of the story yet. No. Um, because... The, this is, the, well, the description the... at the back of the book as well makes it pretty clear that he's hired to track down a child. And he goes with like a group to go track down this child. So I'm pretty sure this is not the child yeah, in question. Yeah, but it did cross my mind. I was like, oh, we've met a child. Is this the child? But I think you're right. I don't I don't think this is the child. My my expectation as of chapter three, and I, I, like, I might be proven wrong next chapter for all I know, <laughs> is that part one of this novel is really Tracker talking about his history before we get into the plot of the present. Yeah. 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 Another thing about this book, now that we're three chapters in, it's the the deep amount of description. It's like reading Tolkien. A little. His descriptions of the forest as they go through and the mountains that they go up and the leaves on the trees. It's, it, to me, anyway, it's reminiscent of reading Tolkien, of just how descriptive it gets. But uh, you and I talked about this earlier. Tracker has a very distinct style of storytelling, right? So you sort of have to, you have to learn to speak Tracker as it were. A little bit. To know what he's talking about. He does tangent a little bit from time to time, though never enough to really get us off topic. It's also interesting to see the kind of stuff that he focuses on because it, it shows what stands out to him, what he thinks is important. Mm -hmm. He talks about, he talks about being out in the wilderness in a way that he never spoke about being in the city, for example. True. Like we don't get the same level of descriptiveness about the city as we do about him walking through a forest. Mm -hmm. And it's not very often you get a description about something based on smell. And that so much of how what he describes is based on smell. Yeah, because that's his primary sense. Yeah, exactly. That's not usually how, how a description is delivered to a reader, right? And I, I think it's fascinating. Mm. I like it. There you go. Oh, there was an interaction early on between Leopard and Kava, which is sitting wrong with me. Wrong, maybe not so much. Stands out to me. Where Leopard tells him that he's been waiting for him for days. Mm -hmm. And Kava's like, yeah, you're going to wait for me however long I, I decide you're going to wait for me. But they're going out there to save children and one of them is already dead. Why wouldn't Kava care? I don't know that they knew that there was going to be two children out there. I don't know that either of them knew that. And I suspect that the reason why Kava was held up by a few days is Tracker. Because he had to hang with his bro and get him out of his funk. 
And Kava prioritized that because he knows Tracker and he's friends with Tracker. Oh, fair enough. Or maybe every so often he just heads out into the forest to save who's out there. I mean, there's nothing saying that Leopard couldn't have gone and saved those children himself. I suppose. That's true. Yeah. So, And there's certainly the implication that that's what Leopard was doing before Kava came along. Mm. So, hard to say. Maybe we'll learn a little bit mm. more about their relationship as we move through. There is never a good time for Anita to read about suffering children. Well, bad news. <laughs> I know. We're literally in a town full of hapless children right now. This so. is a work of fiction. None of these children are real. Sorry. Um, and I, I don't mean to be a downer, but... Um, we, and You're we were not the downer. And we were discussing this uh, earlier as well before the podcast, and it's worth bringing up here. Marlon James has crafted a world that isn't Africa, but is drawing upon a lot of the myths and legends and culture of Africa and presenting it in a fantasy novel that makes it very accessible to, I'm going to say, a Western reader. Or at the very least, someone who isn't as well-versed in African cultures. Yeah. And that's that's a great way to introduce someone to like a, a mythology that you're probably not familiar with. We're, we're very familiar with like classic fantasy tropes. I want to point out that Scott did use air quotes around classic. Yeah. But you couldn't see them. Yeah. A lot of the fantasy tropes that we as Western readers are familiar with are based on like the Ur fantasy novel, which is Tolkien. He was kind of the first big high fantasy writer and so a lot of the the things that we see as like classic fantasy elves dwarves hobbits dragons magic rings all that stems from his writing and his writing is all based on norse mythology and, and very european incredibly in european yes so it's interesting to have the opportunity to be introduced to a different continent a very well a very different myth cycle Mm -hmm. And and to draw a fantasy novel out of those stories and that mythology is interesting to me. And it's an opportunity to learn about a new world, basically. And as longtime listeners of the podcast will know, there's nothing that pleases me more than wonderful world building. So. Mm -hmm. you, should, you should see Scott light up as he talks about it. He loves a good world build. Yeah. So looking forward to seeing more of this world, which undoubtedly we will do as we move into chapter four, which you will want to read up on in time for next week. Yes. In the meantime, one thing that Tracker is is doing right now is, in a way, he's getting a, a fresh education from a completely <laughs> different source, completely divorced from the life he had before. Mm -hmm. And while he is still young, there are, in real life, many people who go back to learn new things at all ages. And wouldn't you know it, there is a podcast all about people who have gone back to school. <laughs> of course there is. Find a podcast about anything out there. This episode of The Read Along is also brought to you by the new season of Back to School Again, a podcast about midlife learners. The next season dives into the power of online learning. Let's take a listen. Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram, host of the Back to School Again podcast, a show for midlife learners. This back-to-school season is all about online learning. So for season four, I'm live from my basement, bringing you socially distanced stories. We'll hear from guests who tackled degrees and trained in the trades, who augmented their skills and shifted careers. We'll find out how their back-to-school journeys have shaped their lives and how they managed to balance work, school, and family obligations. 
This season, I'm proud to partner with Athabasca University, Canada's online university. They're celebrating 50 years as leaders in distance and online education. Find all our episodes and subscribe to the show at backtoschoolagain.ca. We'll see you soon. Find Back to School Again on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find it at backtoschoolagain.ca. That's backtoschoolagain.ca. Yeah, back to school again. Learning. Learning. I love learning. Learning is, I mean, ideally something that you do all your life. It's one of the reasons we read. Yeah. To learn stuff. We're learning about stuff all, all over the place here. It's one of the reasons I joined a book club and started a podcast about a book club. Indeed. Because I like reading because even if you're reading something that you would consider, uh, I hate using this word, trashy, you're still learning something from it. Yeah. Right? Emotional lessons, life lessons, character lessons. Uh, you can also learn a bunch of those kinds of lessons right now by listening to other podcasts on the Alberta Podcast Network. Um, you can find podcasts on any number of topics. Much like our own, they're not all Alberta-centric just because they're based out of Alberta. Goodness, no. You can check them out right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Yes. Once you find one that you like, you can download it on the podcatcher of your choice. Almost well, guaranteed. While you're there... I mean, assuming it's the same podcatcher you're catching our pod from, you might <laughs> yeah. consider giving us a little rating and a review. That definitely helps us out. We are appreciative of it. We absolutely are. Please give us your words. Yes, we would like to show that appreciation to you on social media. <laughs> uh, the usuals, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads are our social medias of choice. Right. We are at the read along at most of those. Yes, you can also send us an email if you are so inclined. We are the read along at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much. And we'll see you next time. For more wilderness? Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com.